Create for No Reason is your weekly dose of courage to stop making excuses and start bringing your ideas to life. Hello, hello. I hope you're doing awesome. I hope you're creating something interesting and fun and putting yourself out there. I am excited about this episode because we're talking all about books. Books is one of my favorite, one of my favorite things to talk about. I love sharing book recommendations. I love receiving book recommendations. And is there anyone online that you, maybe it's a person, a company, a community that you follow and you really appreciate? For me, obviously, there's there's plenty of them. And one of them is Book Thinkers. And it is a community of readers. And the founder is someone who I had an opportunity to meet recently. And that is who I talked to on the show today. And we talk about books. We talk about his podcast, he has a podcast, he interviews authors. So we had a really fun chat about books that changed his life, authors that have really made an impact for him. And uh, that was the conversation. So if you are a writer, if you are writing a book, if you know friends of yours that are writers, this is a fun one. Or hey, if you're just really into reading great books and looking for some good book recommendations, this is the episode for you. I hope you enjoy it. I'm excited to introduce you to Nicholas Hutchison. He is the founder of Book Thinkers, a company dedicated to spreading the power of personal development books. Nicholas is focused on developing insightful content and interviewing the world's top nonfiction authors for his podcast, Book Thinkers, Life-Changing Books. As a digital nomad, Nicholas runs his business from a different country every month and gives all the credit for his lifestyle to some of the early books he read. So please join me in welcoming Nicholas. Hey, Nick. Hi, Kate. Thank you so much for the invitation. I can't wait for our conversation. And obviously, just like you, I am a voracious reader. So can't wait to talk books. Oh, my gosh. I'm so excited. And before we dig into the books, because I can't wait to hear what some of your favorites are, you've interviewed so many incredible authors, and obviously you have a bookshelf full of amazing books behind you. But I'm so curious, as you're building this community, Book Thinkers, which is such a great name, I'm curious, as you're building, what has surprised you the most about building this community of book lovers? You know, I think the most surprising thing is that there are hundreds of thousands of people just like us who are curious and they have this insatiable appetite for nonfiction books, personal development, self-help, materials that can help them improve their health and their wellness, um, their wealth, their happiness. And so sometimes I think when you grow up in, in a tiny specific group of friends, you might be the most outgoing or the person that reads the most. But it's a big community out there. I mean, I never thought that the Book Thinkers community would go over 100,000 people. And it just blows my mind that there are so many lovers of nonfiction books out there. So I think that was probably the most surprising thing as the community was starting to grow. How did you even decide to start Book Thinkers? You know, I was not a reader growing up. I was more of like the jock stereotype in high school. I was an athlete. I wasn't an academic. I went to college and I knew that I wanted to be in business. So I actually ran my own house painting business for a couple of years. And towards the end of my college experience, I took an internship with a local software company in New Hampshire. And one of my early mentors at the time, we had gone on some work trips together and he would put on these business podcasts. 
And since I had an hour commute to and from the office for that internship that first summer, I would start, I started listening to all of these business podcasts and all of the guests were recommending books. And at the time I identified as somebody who was a business person, was a sales professional, but I didn't identify as a reader. And so I thought, well, all these people are recommending amazing books. There must be something here that I'm missing out on. And so I went to my local bookstore, which was a Barnes and Noble, and I filled up a little basket full of books. And because the internship wasn't very demanding, I actually spent a lot of time that first summer reading these books. And so I just became hooked immediately now. And stop me anytime because I get excited about these subjects. <laughs> but, but at the time, I was suffering from a few things. I had insecurities on one side of the spectrum, and I was dealing with an ego on the other side of the spectrum. So it was a confusing place to be operating from. I was a young, hungry professional who was just kind of out there to rule the world. But I also had this insecurity that I was dealing with. And after reading a bunch of these personal development books, I sort of became more secure. I removed a big chunk of that ego. And I started to do really well in my sales career the first couple of years out of school. And so everybody noticed around me. And so they were asking, like, what caused this big change? How are you doing so well? And it was books. And so I just started sharing these books on social media as I was reading them and reviewing them. And before you know it, a community was born. So um, that's kind of how it started. Oh, I love that. Isn't it so incredible how, I mean, look, the title of this episode is Books That Change Your Life. And for someone like you or me or any of the Book Thinkers community, we're like, yeah, we get it, of course. But not everyone thinks that way, right? Like not everyone is believing that a book that you read can actually make a massive impact on the way that you see things, on the way that you approach business, relationships, life. And for you, it got you started in this whole digital nomad lifestyle, which is so fascinating to me. I feel like that's a whole other episode because <laughs> I can't even imagine what that's like. But you work from different countries every month. Where's your favorite place to work? Last year, we did three months in Colombia, in South America, Medellin specifically. That was where we spent most of our time. And whenever I think about the digital nomad lifestyle that my fiance and I have built, I picture myself waking up in Colombia, walking downstairs, walking to a local coffee shop and sitting there for the first couple hours of the morning, reading books, answering a couple emails, having a great cup of coffee. And so for me, I think Colombia is my favorite destination. So we've done a lot of travel over the last few years in Central and South America, sort of through the Caribbean. We also just got back from six different countries in Europe. So we're all over the place. And this business has allowed me to do that. It's such an alternative lifestyle. But the reason that I love traveling so much actually stems from a couple of the first books that I read, funny enough. I know. So so we need to know, what are those books? What were yeah. some of the ones that you, that you picked up? Well, you know, graduating and, and getting into books, I was originally based in New Hampshire with that software company after school in a traditional office. I had my own cubicle and my own office space. And uh, I read The 4-Hour Workweek by Tim Ferriss, and that book changed everything for me. In that book, he talks about the new rich. He says, these people focus on time and mobility, not how much money is in their bank account. And for me, I didn't have a lot of time and I didn't have a lot of mobility. But in that book, which is one of the books that gets a lot of criticism, actually, as very hard to implement, but I implemented everything. And there's even scripts on how to approach your boss to go one day remote, then three days remote, then a full week remote, then a month remote, and show that you're actually more productive while working remotely. And that's exactly what I did. 
the first trip that I ever took internationally by myself was to Argentina for five weeks. Now, at the time, I'm working for the software company. I don't speak any Spanish. I don't know anybody in the country, but I was just trying to follow Tim's footsteps and prove that it was actually possible. And so that's what I did while working for that company. And BookThinkers was really just starting to grow as a side hustle at that time. Oh, that's so cool. And that book gets recommended so often. I love, don't you love those books that stand the test of time? Yes. They are just, even today, I mean, obviously the world is much different than when he originally wrote that book. And the idea of remote work is very different, but you still read it. And even if you don't apply things to a T like verbatim, it shifts your mindset of thinking about time and energy and what you're doing and how you're spending it. So I still think there's a lot of value. The one thing I love about that book is how he came up with the title. Cause that title, I think there was a number of different titles that he had prior to coming up with that one. Yeah. It's, it's interesting. The title sort of, it sells you what you want, but then the book gives you what you need, which is really interesting. So oh, yeah. Tim gets, Tim gets a lot of pushback still to this day on the titles of his books, but it's interesting. You know, a lot of people say four hours a week, you can't work four hours a week. And it's not really what the book is about, but it's creating more time. A lot of people look at the book, they're working 80 hours a week, they're chained to their cubicle and they think, wow, any step in that direction is the right step for me. And so they give it a shot and no, they don't end up working four hours a week, but they end up automating, delegating or eliminating some low impact activity. It frees up a little bit of time and then voila, they're better off from it, you know? Yeah. For yeah. sure. All right. So what are some of the other books that you dug into to, to create this kind of business and lifestyle? Well, you know, the first book that I read was Rich Dad, Poor Dad by Robert Kiyosaki. And what was interesting about that period of time in my life was I was attending college, a four-year university. I was a business student and I didn't really know much about money or how the world actually worked. And so you're attending these business classes. The professors are teaching you all about money theory. And then you read Rich Dad, Poor Dad, and, and he breaks it down in such simplistic terms, like financial literacy is important. It's not taught in the home. I mean, sorry, it's only taught in the home, not taught in school. So you sort of learn poor and middle class money habits from poor and middle class parents, and only the rich teach their kids rich money habits. And so you need to break outside of the paradigm because subjects like personal finance aren't taught in school. And so I went from being in the back of the classroom, shying away from those discussions, there were a lot of like high energy, high power business students. I wasn't one of them. And then I started leading those discussions after reading a couple of books on personal finance that first summer between my junior and senior year in college. And so I was like, wow, I, I feel so confident and educated in these areas now. What other areas of my life could I apply this to? And that's when I started to sort of broaden this, uh, the spectrum of what I was reading and, uh, yeah, so Rich Dad, Poor Dad, The Richest Man in Babylon, The Total Money Makeover by Dave Ramsey. Those were some of the first books that I read. And then once I sort of gained a little bit more confidence in the personal finance area, I branched out to other books like The Seven Habits of Highly Effective People by Covey. And oh, man, I, the list goes on forever. <laughs> <laughs> yes, it does. What is there a book that you read that you were really resistant to read but it kind of just kept popping up maybe from guests or friends that would recommend it. And you picked it up and you thought, oh my gosh, I can't believe it took me so long to read this book. That's a great question. I think, I think that's happened dozens and dozens of times for me <laughs> over time. I, one that sticks out in my mind is Man's Search for Meaning 
by Ooh. Viktor Frankl. I'm not sure why I had any resistance to reading that book. It was written, I guess, a while ago. And so I thought, you know, I'm reading modern business books. I don't really need to search for meaning this early in my journey. Uh, but I fell in love with that book. And uh, so that's one that kind of sticks out in my mind. Have you read it? Oh, yeah. I've read that book multiple times. It's so good. It's one of those that's so good to just to go back to because it helps you. It helps give you some perspective on life, especially when you're dealing with some challenging times and to go and to read that book and just remember. Oh, yeah. It's it's an incredibly impactful book that I think everyone should read. You know what you mentioned earlier that's really interesting is books that stand the test of time. And I think what was interesting about kind of in hindsight about the early stages of my reading journey, I did read a couple books that they felt recent, but they really weren't like Rich Dad, Poor Dad and the Total Money Makeover, The Richest Man in Babylon, The Seven Habits. None of those books were written within the couple of years that I started my journey. But most of the books that I was reading after that were new and for some reason, I thought that was the right approach. I thought the newer books must be the most updated, the most modern, the most applicable to the world that we're in. But that's not necessarily the case. I think books that stand the test of time, they're going to be applicable forever. And so the older the book and the more popular the book, you know, as you go back decades, I think the more relevant it is to today. And so now I like to read a lot of ancient um, like Stoic Wisdom, as an example, and books that have been around for a long time, it, it shows that they're relevant and they'll stay relevant. Yeah. Yes, it's so true. It's, it's what is the one book, uh, the one, one of the most popular books is Dale Carnegie's book, How to Win Friends and Influence People. You mm -hmm. read that today and it still applies. It's still all of the philosophy in that book is still applicable. Um, Meditations by Marcus Aurelius, all of that stuff. It's so true, right? It's like you're reading it and it's it's still true today. And that is why I, I do. I think a lot of people feel the same way that you felt, which is it's what's the newest, the newest, the best, the best, the shiny object. We have these new strategies, these new things. But then you look at someone like uh, like David Allen's book, you know, Getting Things Done, and the principles are the same. Yes, we can package it up and make it look shiny and someone else is going to write it, but it always, all right, this is like a whole different topic because when I think about writing a book, because Nick, you're writing a book, and when I think about writing a book, it's this idea of there's no new ideas. Like people just package a lot of different ideas and a lot of their experiences in a different way because most books it's been said before but you can say it in your voice and i think Absolutely. that's when it comes to like the love of the creator the author there's so much of that when you do start to really enjoy reading so much it's about the book but then it becomes about oh who is the author what are they thinking about how did they come up with kind of turning this idea and sharing it the way that they decided to share it. There's a lot of decisions that have to be made from that respect. So do you have any particular authors that you really gravitate towards? I do. And I have quite a few. And when I was actually starting my book writing process, geez, about a year and a half ago now, I had a little bit of an insecurity. Like, I don't know what I have that's really new. And I think sometimes writers or creatives in any space get in their own way because they think it has to be brand new. But you're totally right in that you are the glue that binds every other thought together. So you might pull from here and from there and from over there and under there, but you're putting it together and patch packaging it in a unique way, delivering it in a unique way. And so some of the best-selling authors that I gravitate to, they're doing the same thing. 
like Robert Greene read 2000 books in order to write the 48 laws of power. He didn't create the 48 laws of power from scratch. They weren't his unique ideas. He grabbed them from all these different places in history and packaged them up in a way that he thought he could communicate it effectively. And I think about Ryan Holiday, who's writing about stoicism. I mean, he didn't create stoicism from scratch. He read hundreds of different books, hundreds of different ancient texts to create the books that are best selling today. And all he's doing is pack packaging it in a unique way. And so I think once I was given that reframe, it sort of took a little bit of the pressure off like, oh, you don't have to be so unique. You are unique already. And yeah, that's that's special. But I gravitate towards those two for sure. I already mentioned Tim Ferriss. I gravitate towards him. I really like Bob Berg and John David Mann, who wrote the Go-Giver series together and some of their individual works as well. I like uh, Tony Robbins. Um, I've read a couple of Vanessa Van Edwards books. I really like her writing style. So, I mean, the list goes on forever, but those are some of the people that I gravitate towards. Oh, I love I'm a I'm such a fan of Ryan Holiday's work. I think he's such a fascinating human. Him and Adam Grant. I really appreciate Adam Grant's work. And I think it's so fun that you mentioned uh, Robert Greene and Ryan Holiday because they they obviously Robert was one of Ryan's mentors. I love this idea that they that they've that he's been able to kind of they've been able to almost like learn from each other as they're growing and building their their books. And I love that they're there's a difference between authors that write for a living and authors of nonfiction books that are writing books for the purpose of business, right? Like there's a distinction between those two. Some people write books and it's very specific for that purpose of the business. And then there's people that are writing books literally like that's all they do is write. I'm so enamored by authors who all they do is write. Robert Greene has written so many books. So has Ryan Holiday. So is John Maxwell. That man has written so many books on leadership. It's incredible. It's like, what more could you possibly say about leadership? <laughs> I know, I know. I agree. And uh, you know, you mentioned the podcast during the intro that we have, the Book Thinkers Life-Changing Books podcast. And Robert Greene and Ryan Holiday have both been on the show and they were almost back-to-back -back guests. And it was like, I was just so mind blown getting to talk to them and to interview them and to ask questions about the process because they're both fascinating human beings. What were some key takeaways that you remember hearing from both of them? Well, I think with Robert Greene, what really stuck out to me about that interview, I was curious. I said, you know, you get a lot of criticism for this book being inherently negative. People are taking advantage of these 48 laws that you wrote about 20 years ago. It's the most banned book in the U.S. prison system. So do you feel like you're doing a positive thing for the world or a negative thing? And I remember him saying something like, the book doesn't have to be used offensively. It can be used defensively. When you become aware of these laws of power, you can protect yourself against other people taking advantage of you. And that also flipped my paradigm. And I was like, whoa, that's really cool to think about it. It can be used uh, to protect yourself, to protect your loved ones. You become aware of this sort of uh, invisible force that exists and you make sure that you don't get taken advantage of. And so that was a really cool takeaway from the Robert Greene interview. And then with Ryan Holiday, I remember one of the questions I asked him was like, does he view himself as the next philosopher in this line of Stoics over time? And he said, no, he said, I'm just a writer. I write about stoicism. So if people catch me on social media or at the grocery store and uh, I'm not practicing stoicism, that's because I'm not a stoic. I try to be, 
but I'm just a writer who writes about stoicism. I try to collect this wisdom and then present it in a digestible modern format, like we were talking about earlier. And that sort of helped me reframe the way that I viewed Ryan's work as well. So I, those are two really cool ways to view Robert's work and Ryan's work that I was able to dig out during those interviews that helped kind of change the way that I viewed them. Interesting. Yeah. What other authors have you connected with that you really found fascinating? Oh, so many, so many. I, one that people bring up a lot is Grant Cardone. So Grant was one of my first 10 podcast guests and people think that he's impossible to talk with. And, you know, when you originally asked me the question at the beginning, what has surprised you about growing this community? I think that so many people love these books on one side of the spectrum, but I think that also these authors that we think are social media famous and maybe they manage billions of dollars with their businesses. But one other thing that surprised me on the other side of the spectrum is that they're not so hard to reach. They're more approachable and open to conversation than you would think that they are. And so getting somebody like Grant Cardone on an unknown podcast, he's been on a couple of times. I went down and spent some time in Miami with him and Elena, she's been on the podcast twice. Yeah, that really surprised me. And, and so to get to spend some time with people like that, I mean, he has this way when you're in the room with him where all eyes are on you, all focus is on you. Nothing else matters. He's not distracted on his phone or answering emails. It's just total focus is on you. And that really was impressive to me at his level to be able to stop and focus so intensely and make me feel great, uh, even though I was just really getting started at the time. So he sticks out in a big way for me as well. Um, another one of my favorite authors is Stephen Pressfield, who wrote The War of Art and another, you know, a bunch of other really great books. And so to interview Stephen on, on the podcast and just feel like he's a normal guy having fun writing. One thing that stuck out about his podcast interview was he said sometimes he goes back to books that he's written or manuscripts that he's written and he doesn't even remember writing them. He's like, this doesn't even feel like it was me. It feels like it was a completely different person. I was just a, amused that something was writing through. And uh, so, yeah, a lot of cool experiences like that. Oh, my gosh. Stephen Pressfield is one of my favorite authors. The War of Art is one of those books that I just keep on my desk. And it's exactly what you need, no matter what time. If you're feeling that imposter syndrome, you're feeling a little bit, your energy's a little low, your creativity's a little low, you just pick up that book, you just flip it to any page. And boom, you get something that is so inspiring that gets you so excited to get back to work. It's yeah. unreal. No, 1000%. And one of my favorite takeaways from my podcast episode with Steven, I remember he told me that he kept a little replica cannon on his desk and it was normally aimed away from him. But when he needed to be fired up with inspiration and defeat the resistance, he would aim it towards himself and keep it on the desk and let it let the cannon sort of fire him up with uh, energy and motivation. And so I decided to get myself a little cannon after that interview and I keep it on my desk as well. Oh, I love that. Yeah. Oh my gosh. That's so awesome. What, tell me about your writing process. You've interviewed so many authors. Have you taken any of their advice on the writing process and br brought it to you developing your own book? Oh yes, I have, but I don't know if I've implemented it effectively. <laughs> <laughs> So I started the process about 18 months ago, and I've faced periods of, of resistance for sure. And what's interesting about Stephen's work, as you mentioned, The War of Art, it teaches you that resistance is self-generated. That's something that I don't think a lot of people really realize or take the time to reflect on. 
but any resistance that you're facing, like when your alarm clock goes off in the morning and you can't get out of bed or you can't get yourself to work on the big, hairy, audacious goals that you've set, that's internally generated, which means it can also be defeated. It's not an external force. It's just something you need to get over with yourself. And so I've had a lot of ebbs and flows with the writing process. I think I started off really strong. And then the book changed in a big way, which also created a lot of resistance for me. And so when I was, I actually started the book in Colombia, South America, and I was writing every morning and I was in a great flow. And then I think I changed locations and it just, the energy didn't feel right. I created resistance, a bunch of excuses, and I let the project sit for a while. And uh, one thing that's really helped me and that a, a number of authors have recommended is just have some sort of accountability. And so Book Launchers has been a great accountability partner for me. And I've had some other writer friends just consistently check in on me, make sure that I'm getting pages done every day or that I'm at least focusing a little bit of time every week on the book. And uh, some of those pieces of advice have been really helpful for me. Well, I'm happy to join that list of people checking in on you because it's all about just getting up and show it as Stephen Presswell talks about, get up and do the work. You have to just do the work, show up every day. One of my favorite books on writing is, is called On Writing by Stephen King. And I love that he talks about how you just have to show up the same time, the same place every day and just get out the pages, even when it sucks, even when it's horrible. <laughs> yeah, I, I agree. I have a copy of that book. I haven't read it yet. You know, what's funny is I think because my comfort zone is the marketing and sales side of things, I would... I would end up getting a lot of books on on writing and promoting and marketing books, but I would just default to reading the ones on the sales and marketing side of things. So I feel like I have this huge, robust sales and marketing game plan ready to go, but I don't have a book yet because uh, I couldn't get myself to finish it, but I did finish it. So I submitted it for the first round of content editing, I think it's called, or developmental editing, and I just got that manuscript back. So now I need to go through and and go through all of the red lines. I just got it back yesterday. So good timing for this interview. Oh my gosh, Nick, I'm so excited for you. You'll have yes. to let me know how, how it went and how you felt because it can be very emotional when you get back your work and you're like, wait a second, you didn't love every line of my writing? <laughs> yes, no, it's, um, it, and it's also the first piece of, you know, it's funny because I'm a content creator kind of full time. But it's really the first piece of long form art that I've created in any way, shape or form, you know, outside of like a 10 minute book review or something like that. So, yeah, there's there's a lot of there's a lot of things that I didn't expect, you know, like an imposter syndrome pops up here, there and creates resistance or uh, all sorts of things like that. And so I wasn't expecting that. I thought because I had such a strict morning routine and I was such a disciplined, regimented person that I would be able to, like you said, just show up and do the work every day, like block out two hours every morning, five days a week, just get it done in a couple of months, work through the process like a workhorse. And it just slapped me in the face. And I was like, hey, I'm way harder than you think I am. <laughs> that's right. But you did it. You I pushed it, through, yeah. you made it happen. And that's what matters because most people don't. Everyone talks about wanting to write a book or they have a book inside of them, but not everyone actually sits down because it is, it's challenging who is on your dream list of authors that you haven't had on the show yet? It's a great question. And I've been so close to a couple of these people, but the, the conversations just haven't worked out. I think Tim Ferriss is one of them. I, I always like to say that Tim Ferriss is like a spirit animal of mine. I mean, he doesn't <laughs> know it, but I've followed so many of his podcasts and I've read all of his books and I'm just such a big fan of his work. 
I'd love to just thank him, sit down and have a conversation for a little while and pick his brain on a few things. So he's one of them. I think Tony Robbins is another. He was inspirational for me in the very beginning of my journey. And yeah, I've read a lot of his books. He's definitely one of the people at the top of my list. Um, in terms of motivation for social media and content creation, although not everybody loves him, I'm a fan of Gary V. And a lot of the strategies that enabled me to grow such a big community online came directly from Gary's videos and consuming his social media. And he's also one of the reasons that I was able to turn my side hustle into a full-time business hustle, which was really cool. So Gary's on the list. And uh, I'd love to speak with Oprah one day. I mean, Oprah ran such a big book club for so long, and she's inspired probably millions of people, tens of millions of people to pick up books and read them. And so that would be a really cool interview as well one day. What is the first question you would ask Oprah? Oof. I haven't done a lot of research on how her reading journey started, but I would love to learn some of the same questions that you asked me, actually. What were some of the first books that she read uh, and and how did they make her feel and did did they contribute to her success and who she became? And, you know, did they give her the the push to continue after all of that early rejection? You know, some of those types of questions, probably. Well, we're going to put it out into the universe that you're you're talking to Tim. You're going to talk to Tony Robbins. You're going to talk to Oprah. It's happening. Gary V for sure. Like all of these, they're all, although Gary V doesn't read. So <laughs> I know, but he's written a few books. I've met Gary has, before, yes. but we didn't have a long enough interaction for me to say, hey, you should come on my podcast. But next It'll time happen. I meet him, I'll slip that in. Yeah, It'll happen. Have you read books by all of the authors that you've interviewed? Yes. Yes. So every, we've done about 85 interviews, I think maybe 90, if you count the ones that haven't been released yet. And I read an entire book in preparation for every single one of those interviews, at least one book. So most of the interviews are focused directly on one of the books that that author has written. And, and yeah, I've definitely read one from every one of them. That's so cool. All right. Very controversial question I have for you. Because I love I think, that. I think this is hilarious and people can get so upset about it. I actually did a video on it. Do audiobooks count as reading a book? Well, I missed your video, so I don't know if I'm going to align with you or not. But <laughs> I would say I would say it depends, but I would lean towards yes. And that's because when I'm in the car for like three or four hours, or sometimes I've done a lot of road trips where I'm in the car for eight hours in a day. And the actual driving part of your experience just kind of drifts down to your subconscious and you can focus entirely on a book. And there's somebody in the passenger seat that can take notes for you. Like, yeah, you're going to get a lot out of that book and you're going to be able to go back and reference the physical book afterwards and take action on what you've learned. Yes. In that scenario, it does. But if you're distracted and you're doing chores and you're not focused on the book and you sort of look up an hour later and you're like, I don't even know what I just listened to for the last hour, then I would say that doesn't count. <laughs> <laughs> so I don't know. What was your take on it? Well, I talked about how I different ways to consume more books. And I talked about audiobooks and there was people in the comments that that's not reading. It's a, and I almost feel like I consider more 
what is your point in reading? If you're trying mm -hmm. to consume information and you're listening to the audiobook and you're getting that information is helping you get better at whatever it is that you're trying to get better at or to learn, then yeah, it's almost like, what's the argument? Like it's, it's really about what you're trying. And when someone's reading a book, I assume it's for either entertainment or they're trying to learn something. They're trying to grow in a specific area. So I look at it as yes, it's reading. Obviously I know it's different than sitting down and flipping page by page, but yeah, you're consuming the content, you're consuming the information. And I can't tell you how many books I have on Audible and I'm listening to it and I'm like, oh, this is so good. I need to physically have my copy so I can pour through it. In fact, one of the best books that I've read this year is Stephen Kotler's book, The Art of Impossible. And that's how I felt about that book. I started listening to it and I thought I need to be able to highlight and take notes and do all of the things. Yeah, I listen, I agree a thousand percent. And you brought up a really important point. And I, I wrote about this in the book that I'm working on. And that's setting an intention for the book that you're reading. And so if the intention is just purely entertainment, I think it's important to set that expectation up front. And then yes, of course, you don't need to be paying attention to every single line. But if your intention is to learn two strategies that you're going to implement within the next three months for three months for maybe like improving your personal financial situation, then yeah, you should be paying attention to the book and you should make sure that you're capable of taking notes and you know, you don't want it to just be a podcast experience. I mean, you can learn from anything out there, but uh, yeah, defining the intention is a really important point. And then your brain sort of helps filter for opportunities in the book to help fulfill your intention. And so if you say, I want to learn two strategies for improving my personal financial situation within the next three months, then you're going to be looking for those if you review that intention before you go into the book every time. And if it's just entertainment, then there's no stress. You don't need to worry about it. Yeah. All right. I do have to ask you, what is, if somebody asked you, I mean, you've, again, you have read so many books, you've talked to so many authors, what is your top five books that you just cannot live without? They're by your bedside. You just love them and that you recommend them the most out of any book. Well, you know, I already mentioned a few of them. My go-to recommendations are Rich Dad, Poor Dad by Robert Kiyosaki because it's the book that got me into the space. Number two is The 4-Hour Workweek by Tim Ferriss, mostly because it teaches you that reality is negotiable and that you can define a life that fulfills your unique core values. And that's what the book did for me. Number three is The Compound Effect, which we didn't talk about by Darren Hardy. And that book teaches that small steps in the right direction over a long period of time will lead to disproportionately positive outcomes. And so putting, um, you know, small, slow steps in the right direction on social media can lead to a big audience. Small amounts into a bank account can lead to a large amount with compound investing and all sorts of stuff. It's a great book. Um, number four, we touch on briefly, which is The Go-Giver by Bob Berg and John David Mann. It teaches the reciprocal relationship between giving and receiving. It's a fun little business parable. It's a very easy read. And then number five for me is Vagabonding by Rolf Potts. Vagabonding is all about the art of long-term world travel. And that book is, I mean, it's just introduced me to so many cultures and countries, and it gave me the confidence to go out there and experience new things, which helps fuel everything in my life. It's one of my core values. So those are my kind of go-to five, depending on what people are looking for. Awesome. And what's on your reading list over the next six months? Oh, that's a great question. I The most impactful book for this year for me was a book called $100 Million Offers by Alex Hormozzi. And Alex says that 
he can 5X, 10X, 100X your average deal size for whatever business you're in. And um, I read the book and Book Thinkers is now growing. Like it's growing so fast. We've hired three more full-time people in the last couple of months and our service revenue is going through the roof, which is amazing. And it's as a result of that book. And so the next book that I'm going to read and really focus on implementing is that book again, this time with a new operations guy at Book Thinkers. So we're going to do a really deep dive into $100 million offers by Alex Hormozzi. And then he's releasing another book later this year, I think. And uh, I think it's called $100 million advertising or $100 million leads or something like that. And I've just, I'm a big fan of his work. We didn't really talk about him much today, but he's a great author too. Interesting. All right. So do you read any fiction at all? I do, but it's it's probably only about 5% of what I read. I'm, I'm in this world right now where I'm just so focused and energized and also fulfilled by reading nonfiction personal development type books that I can read and, and then take action on. But uh, I think there will probably be a period in my life where the ratio flips and I read like 95% fiction. I do have a little itch right now to go start some of those bigger, longer best-selling series like Harry Potter and Lord of the Rings and Game of Thrones and like all that kind of stuff. Like I'd like to read it. I just don't have the, I don't have the time or the desire to prioritize it just yet. Are you familiar with Austin Kleon? Yes. I've read uh, all three of those small little books. They're so good. Yeah, they really are. Steal Like I... an Artist and yeah. Yeah, his trilogy. Steal, uh, Steal Like an Artist, Show Your Work and Keep Going. So good. He's yeah. one of my favorite authors. He's all right. one of my favorites too. He's so good. It's just so, he's so consistent. He's so good. It's another, it's very similar to The War of Art in that I have it on my desk that I can just pick it up and flip to any page. I'm like, yep, I'm on the right track. Especially if you're dealing with imposter syndrome or you're feeling like your work isn't good enough. It's like, oh no, it is. I got it. Let's just keep going. Nick, you are so fun to talk to about books. You've read so many incredible books. I'm so proud of you for all of the things that you're doing with book thinkers. So what are you most excited about for book thinkers over the next year? Well, right now we're really focused on helping authors turn their books into video content for social media, like short form Instagram reels and TikTok videos and YouTube shorts, because I think every author, their target reader exists somewhere in social media. And it's just such a great way to get in front of your audience. Video content, you can build trust. Um, you, you can add a verbal call to action to send them wherever you want. And uh, I'm just so excited about the potential that social media has for authors. And so, yeah, that's that's our main focus right now is we're flying out to authors. We're helping them film video content. We're building an, a studio, which will be done in about a month where authors can come to us. And so, yeah, just really helping authors connect with their readers, because I genuinely believe like with my heart of hearts at the end of the day, that the right book at the right time can change your life. And what's nice about personal development and nonfiction authors is that their books have a purpose. They're written to help people. They're condensing decades of information into days of potential application. And so I want to help authors get their books into the right hands, identify their target readers, create content for them, invite them into their communities, provide free value. And yeah, that's what I'm the most excited for. Beautiful. 
All right. I always ask every one of my guests before I let them go, what is one activity, 10 minutes or less, that the listeners can do to help them spark their creativity and live a more fulfilling life? I cultivate creativity through meditation. That's my biggest thing. And I'm sure that that might be a common answer on this show, but meditation is really just the return to breath. And I'm probably seven years into consistently meditating at least a few times a week, if not every day, for as little as a couple minutes. And uh, just think about your thoughts and a lot of really cool things can happen. Awesome. Well, Nick, it was such a pleasure. I'm excited for when your book comes out. Good luck with book thinkers and keep spreading all of the love of books and helping people change their lives. Thank you so much for all you do. Thank you, Kate. And there you have it. I hope you enjoyed this episode as much as I enjoyed chatting with Nick. It was really fun to get to know him a little bit more. And I'm so curious, have you read any of the books that he recommended? Do you like some of the authors that we talked about on the show? I would love to hear from you. And of course, I would love to hear what book recommendations you have. What are you reading? What is the best book you've read over the last year? I would love to hear. So let me know. Message me over on Instagram or, you know, anywhere on the socials. And again, I hope you enjoy this episode. I so appreciate you. I appreciate you listening. And until next time, go create something. 